Hi everybody, this is Dustin, and I just want to give you a bit of a trigger warning before this episode begins. Um, in this episode, I'm talking about grief and the loss of a loved one, and um, I know sometimes that can be, you know, really emotional for some people. So just want to let you know, um, I will probably get emotional at some point, but I'm I'm going to try to keep composed because I really want to talk about my mom. So. Today, I am here with Shelly from Tales of Point Horror Book Club or Tales of Yesterday. Dot, is it what is it? Dot co. Dot uk. Dot co. Dot uk. Yeah. Okay. Good. I didn't know if it was co. Or co. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. She's a wonderful friend. She's been so supportive Aww. to me throughout all this. Um, and I thought, you know, I really want to talk to somebody about it. And I didn't, I didn't want to just do a podcast episode where I'm just talking, you know, yeah, yeah. have a conversation with somebody about it and let things come out somewhat yeah. organically. And, um, oh, it's my, it's my pleasure. It's an absolute honor to be talking to you about your, your mom, Maureen. Absolute honor. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so for those of you who don't know, my mother passed away on January 5th in the morning while I was asleep and my brother was downstairs with her and he had found some, some small, you know, Bibles, travel Bibles, if you will. Um, and was just reading some stuff from it to her and he read her a passage and I'm not quite sure what the passage was, but apparently it it was enough to let her, um, relax. So, and she passed right there for him. And she was, I guess she waited for me to sleep because I was always by her side. Like I was sleeping in the room on the floor. Um, yeah. I didn't want her to be alone. Um, which, you know, I wasn't really getting any sleep. So, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. I forgot one thing. Give me one second. I got to grab. No I'm going to grab tissues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a little tissue. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, totally forgot the tissues. No, I, I, <laughs> um, I got one prepared. I thought, oh, I'll put a little tissue there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we had all these boxes. We still have a lot because my mom was always, she was on medication that would try to drain fluids out of her so she wouldn't have fluid in her lungs. Yeah. And so she was constantly blowing her nose, and, you know. Aww. Yeah. So we have all these tissues. Um <sighs> Yeah, and I'm like, well, that was setting, that's perfect for right now because I you know, can't stop crying. I, well, cry, of course. I, I cry throughout the day and I just, just randomly. Yeah. I didn't realize it was going to hit me this hard. I mean, I knew it was going to hit me hard, but yeah, not like this. No. You will, and <sighs> grief, grief is such a um, a big thing and you just got to let you give yourself time to grieve and, you know, just surround yourself with love and people who love you and... Um, just let yourself give yourself time is what I'm trying to say definitely yeah I mean I'm trying and yeah there's a lot of other factors at work you know I got to go back to work now because I haven't been at, at physical work in like a couple months yeah and I've just been doing some stuff from home and not getting paid very much but I mean upside is I'll get more money now but yeah um yeah that's so the change yeah. that happens so I want to explain everything, the situation with my mom and my relationship with her real quick. Just, yes. you know, of course, obviously my mom, love her, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were really close all growing up. And then I came out to her and 
she got angry at me for it and we we didn't really we didn't like not talk or anything we just never talked about that and there was always this kind of like divide between us yeah you know that we, we, we couldn't get close anymore but we could you know at certain times it was strange but yeah years later probably like five years later i was doing a play for a um a gay theater company basically they do you know they do works by the queer community or works about the queer community yeah and i did a play with them and it was a comedy and um, it was actually Psycho Beach Party. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> no. It, it was a movie. Um, I think the author's name or the playwright is Charles Bush, who also was in it. It's like a spoof on like um, Gidget and like beach movies from the 60s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's just really silly and it's fun. It has a lot of good people in it. It has like Amy Adams and Lauren Ambrose and uh, – uh, Nicholas Brendan Xander from Buffy oh, yeah, and okay. a few other people, quite a few other people. It's just really funny and just campy and, you know, um, so yeah, that's, it made it to a movie. Yeah, that's the movie, but I was in the play version and I played one of the, the gay characters and I was the gay surfer who was coming out to his surfer friend because he was in love with him. And then there was a kiss moment and it's, you know, it's funny. It's all supposed to be silly. Yeah. My mom saw it. She came and saw it and she saw me kiss a guy for the first time. You know, it was granted it was comical, but, um, but she also saw there was a whole community of people. Mm. It's like she had to see it to understand, you know, and yeah. she met some of these people and they were fun. They, they said, you know, they were going to look out for him and stuff. Cause I was so young. And, uh, so we got closer and things got easier and now we were, I was able to I just freely talk to her about things and it feels great so that that mm. was really good for us oh. um, and when I guess when I was 27 I guess 26 or 27 I was working I just started the new job and my mom gives me a call to come pick her up I was right down the street and yeah. I still had a couple hours left to work and I said, I, Mom, I can't. I'm at work. And I just I started like a week ago. Yeah. Said, I really need your help. She's hyperventilating. She's talking on the phone. Please help me. And I went, oh, my God. And so I, I just I went to my boss. I, I, I got to go. She said, no, no. Go take, take, take care of your mom. My mom worked at the hospital. Not very far. Yeah. And like a couple, like a mile or two. Um, so she was hyperventilating. I found her. She was sitting outside. Just She was sitting on the ground up against the wall and just kind of you know kind of bent over a little bit and so you okay she was i'm okay i'm okay she was just take me home i just want to go home so all right so we i got her in the car and we started driving home we were on the interstate freeway or whatever you want to call it yeah and she said turn around take me back take me back i gotta go i gotta go back i gotta go back i can't i can't I, this is no i she would take me to the emergency room so we went to the emergency room and i think that was when she was diagnosed with COPD. Yeah. She couldn't oh. breathe. They almost intubated her down her throat, you know? Yeah. Um, she was like, nope, I got to push through this. So she did. She calmed herself down and she was able to not you know, to control her breathing. Yeah. Stay calm and um, try yeah. and focus kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was something, it was probably like 2007, mm. maybe 2007, 2008. Yeah. Something like that. And so ever since then, she'd had trouble, you know, and uh, she kept smoking. 
Mm. And she said, my mom smoked like at least a pack a day. And yeah, for a while there, sometimes more. Yeah. And at the time I was smoking, I was a smoker too, because I, you know, grew up around it. It's more likely you're going to do it. Yeah. So then, you know, so my mom would have problems off and on. So everybody would always like, I was always leaving things early to go check on my mom. Mm. Um, I lived with her for a while. I moved in with her in 2003, moved out probably, I think 2009. Well, I moved out once and then I, had, I moved back in because that roommate was crappy and I just was like, all right, let me stay here for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna, you know, and then I moved out again for another five years and then I moved back and I knew mom's health had declined. Mm. And I just found out from my brothers because she had a year, she didn't have health insurance. She couldn't afford it. She had to she had to retire early and then mm. she didn't have health insurance. Oh gosh. Yeah. I know our healthcare system in America is so Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're very lucky over here in the, the UK. Really Sensible got... stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they just don't get it. No one gets mm. it. They think it's bad. I'm like, no, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Your money actually goes to helping you instead of giving it, putting it in other yeah. pockets. So you were just saying, um, like when she got diagnosed and um, when you moved back in and then um, you run about yeah. the health insurance. Right. So, uh, yeah, I lived with uh, a roommate for a while and I moved back in, I think, in 2014, mid-2014. Yeah. And my mom had her health had declined. And what I found out was probably because she didn't have health insurance for a year and couldn't go to the doctors and get her medicines and mm. whatnot. Yeah. So I didn't know that. And I, I just found out. Oh, so it makes me that. Mm. So she gets worse and worse. And then in 2019, uh, I walk in, I just woke up in the middle of the night. It wasn't even that late, actually, but I'd gone to bed like at nine. And so I think I woke up at 11. And yeah. I just knew go check on mom. Like I just mm -hmm. popped up. I just knew to go check on her. Yeah. And I found her face down on her bed oh, with her legs kind of, she was on the side of the bed face down. Her legs are completely stiff straight yeah. out and she's jerking, like, oh. like trying to breathe, like really pumping. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like somebody was pushing on her from behind kind of thing. Oh. I said, mom, mom. And I started to like freak out. And, uh, um, so I called an ambulance and I waited and I was like, um, I, you know, I was trying to, uh, she was yeah. okay. She was breathing and she was alive. Mm. She was just jerking around. I mean, what was I going to do? So I, I was like, okay, I got to clear a path. And you don't realize the stuff that's going through your head. No. At the, you you want to make it easier for the people to get to her. So you want to clear a path, you know, push some furniture out of the way. Mm. If they need, you know, a gurney or, you know, a bed, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you just start going, okay, uh, what do I do now? What do I do now? I need to get the, I need to get my dog out of here. Cause I put the dog in the backyard. So they're not, she's not in the way. So mm. I get the dog in the, you know, outside and, and I'm like, Oh, I need to get dressed. I'm just in, you know, underwear right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running around like at any moment they're going to show up. So I got to get dressed. I'm like, I feel bad because she's sitting there and I can't do anything. Yeah. And I, I got to be prepared to leave. Don't you mind just going like 10 oh miles God, an hour? Everything, yeah. Everything. I'm like, and I keep checking. Is she okay? She's coming back. You know, is she okay? I kept checking on her. And it was like, I had to do this and do this real quick and, and grab, you know, I was all over the place. It was scary. It was, mm. That's where PTSD starts kicking in. Yeah. 
Yeah, for um, sure. And, you know, and she, we went to the hospital. She got better. You know, not better, but she was fine. She had so much, too much CO2 in her. And so they were, you know, they told us she needed to use a ventilator mm. and help hold CO2 out because her body wasn't expelling it. Yeah. And she doesn't remember all of this because she had too much CO2 in her brain. Yeah. And I had to tell her. And I told her several times she needs to wear that ventilator. She needs to pull the CO2 out. And she said, who told you this? It's like she wouldn't believe me because mm. she couldn't remember it. Uh, makes me upset. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm watching. I started having to watch my mom for like like a hawk. For yeah. Like 2019 especially. Mm. She went to the hospital a couple more times. One was for like a, a, bolst, a burst ulcer. Yeah. And then she had a hernia from that surgery. It was just bad every time. Yeah. She ended up going to the hospital again because she was at the doctor's office and she couldn't breathe and they took her to the hospital. So oh, all through like four or five times in 2019, we went to the mm. hospital wow. and stayed there for like at least a week. Yeah. And maybe more. So you've asked fast forward to this year and things have declined rapidly. Mom lost mm. a lot of weight. She didn't want to eat much. We tried, you know, we got her on some pills to give her an appetite and it took them a while, but they finally started kicking in. But by that point, she was so skinny, so yeah. skinny, all bone. Yeah. You know, and um, she, she ate, she ate though. She ate a lot. And, but they explained that her lungs were working so hard mm. to keep her alive that they were using so much energy and burning off so much. Yeah. And that's why she couldn't keep any weight on. Mm. And I said, mom, that's why you got to wear the ventilator. It helps you breathe. You can rest. Your, your lungs can rest and you can actually rest and then it'll pull, clear your head. And she just, she didn't like something on her face. Yeah. And I was like, mom, but you got to do it. You know, and mm. she did, she tried sometimes, but other times she'd have panic attacks after like five minutes and I'd take it off. Yeah. So it just declined more and more. And Thankfully, Christmas, she was around, yeah. and a few days later, she was starting to become, she wouldn't sleep. She wouldn't go to yeah. sleep. She was too scared to go to sleep. Mm. And uh, we had put her in hospice by this point, and that was at the beginning of December. We started the hospice situation, which I'm lucky that we had because she always told me she didn't want to go to a nursing home. Mm. She didn't want to go to an old person's home because she just wanted, she wanted to be stuck there and left alone, you know, yeah. and she wanted her family around her. She wanted to be in her house. Yeah. But, uh, so we had her in hospice and I took care of her primarily. Mm. My brother got more and more involved and she just started going like she wasn't there, you know, yeah. and she was, she was freaking out and not, not being coherent. She mumbled a lot, but she would say, no, I want to go home. I want to go home. Let me go. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. Yeah. And stiffening up. And then we found out later, the reason why she's stiffening up and everything is it's because she's nervous, but her heart rate and everything up, she was in pain. Yeah. Because she hadn't eaten in days because she wouldn't eat. And she, you know, I couldn't get her to eat. Like she was just like, I realized later I fed her food, a stew. Mm. The next morning the nurse came to check on her and they, she just started spitting out all this food that was in her mouth. All oh. like for 10 hours, she just held this food in her mouth. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, what the, I thought she had eaten it. 
I'm just mm. shoveling food in there. I wait a few more minutes, you know, yeah. 15 minutes and I'd give her another spoonful and give her a lot, but yeah. she didn't eat any of it. Oh, bless. bless I know, she started her little cheek like a chipmunk. Yeah. Oh. Oh. yeah. And, but at least, uh, at least she had you, you and your brother there with her and yeah. she was at home like, like she wanted. Um, and that's what she wanted at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's what I'm grateful for, you know, and mm. I'm just, I'm coming to the, I'm not as emotional about that situation. Mm. It's the memories. Oh yeah. Of Small things, tiny yeah. things, or just things I'm realizing, like right before I started this, I was closing the door to this room and I said, I don't have to close the door. There's nobody else uh, in this house. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it was weird. And then I, even when I walked back in from the, getting the tissue, I did it again. I went, don't do that. You don't have yeah. to close the door. Yeah. You know, um, little it, things like that. And it kind of makes me choked up. Yeah. It's like I saw on your um, TikTok today when you were on about the song mm-hmm. and how your mom um, sang it a, a different lyric to it, which is, it's just like little things, isn't it? Like little memories that you remember and they just make yeah. you smile and make you emotional and, and things like that. But what a, lovely, what a lovely memory <laughs> that is yeah. to have. Um, I did. But- it was so silly. She was singing it to uh, my niece at Christmas a couple of years ago. And she goes, you know that Lizzo girl? Do you like her? She goes, I like that one song. And she's saying that. I, she was like, I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby. And she was like, how are you feeling? And she goes, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, wait, what? That doesn't even rhyme. And that's I mean, it's the name of the song, Mom. <laughs> oh, dear. But it's a nice memory. And you'll always sing that song that way now as well. <laughs> whenever oh, I know. you hear Every it. Every time I hear it, that's what I think about. It's how much she yeah. loved that song. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Bless her. So do you know much yeah. about your mum's life, like growing up and things, um, like when she was younger and stuff like that? Or A little bit. Like yeah. she, they didn't have the best life. They weren't like the richest family. There was five kids. Yeah. And they grew up in like an, an industrial um, working class area, which is... Mm in scranton pennsylvania um uh which you don't you may not know but the u.s version of the office takes place in scranton oh and, okay yeah. and apparently joe biden is somewhat from there oh. the president so i'm not sure but anyway but yeah my mom grew up in scranton and it was it's one of those communities which is funny because even now when i go there you can still see like segregation just you know, mm. all the like Irish Catholic families live in this area. All the Italian people and all the you know Latino and and uh, just you know all everybody Jewish community and everybody sticks really close. But then you know they they'll still you know cross over. It's no big thing. It's just how people are. They stick to a community, you know. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting when you when I go up there because we're such a mix in my area of everybody and uh, yeah. It's interesting to see how separated everyone keeps themselves. Mm. But she, um, yeah, she grew up there through the fifties and sixties, and and then she went to the navy. Yeah, and that's where oh, she wow. met my dad. Yeah, she met my dad in the navy in San Diego. Um, 
and they she ended up getting discharged when she got pregnant with my brother. Yeah. And uh, then seven and a half years later, they had me. <laughs> Aww, little Dustin. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so. Aww. Can you? Yeah, but I, well, I know a few things about her childhood. A few things, but yeah. very little. And yeah, like one time she was kidnapped for, that, for a gang initiation. What? What happened? <laughs> like she was a kid playing in the front yard, and they just took her and put her in a closet for a little while, and then to somebody's house, put her in a closet, and she just sat <gasps> there, and then like for a half hour, and then they let her go. Oh my gosh! Oh, bless her. I know. I'm like, what the what? <laughs> yeah, that's like one of them things you hear, and you think. Did you really? Did yeah, you? I know. I feel, I, I'm, I, that's like I kept I, every once in a while I'd bring it back up. I'm like, is this story going to change? Um, it didn't oh, I love change, that. Though, no. uh, mm. <laughs> oh, that's I love that. Can you remember what your earliest memory was of of your mom? Oh my goodness! Like I your mean, if you think back, like um, what can you think back to? I you know I mean wow. There's so many things. I just, how she was always trying, I just know how she was always trying to make me happy and make my yeah. brother, you know, everybody happy. Yeah. And that's what I've always tried to do. I just want people to be happy. Yeah. Um. And, you know, just little things like planning birthday parties and stuff like that. Like, I can't think back on, I can tell you one of my, my fondest memories of her yes. um, as a child. Yeah. And every time I think about it, it really... I'm probably going to shake up when I talk about it, but so when I was in third grade, I was about nine years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was nine. I should have just turned nine. I think it was in March of 1990. And I got a call from the intercom in when I was in school and they called me to come to the office to check out. And this was, right after lunch so i was like oh i get to go to lunch and then i get to leave all right <laughs> and so my mother you know came to check me out and i was like where are we going and she says it's a surprise and i'm like okay I, it was like it wasn't my birthday or anything i was like why is she doing this you know yeah and it wasn't like a holiday or anything like that so we're driving we drive into memphis we went a while i was like what is going on i just kept asking she wouldn't tell me so we pull up to the Mall of Memphis, which is no longer, it does not exist anymore. Yeah. Pull to the Mall of Memphis. And it's, it was one of the few, like, it had one of the, it had a, it had a skating rink, an ice skating rink in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and they also had a movie theater. And one of the few that they had in Memphis at the time. And uh, she pulls up to the movie theater and I look up on the billboard and she was taking me to see the first showing of the Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I don't, it was one of those things because I was so excited it was coming out. Yeah. And I didn't think I was going to get to go see it and everything. And I got to go see it before any of my friends got to go see it. Oh, wow. And it was so awesome. It was, it's one of those things like she knew, she knew how much it meant to me. Yeah. And uh, it really, uh, it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, of course. 
What an amazing memory that she gave you, like a core memory there, though. That's just... And as you say, she, she always wanted to make people happy. And yeah. that day she, she made you one happy boy. <laughs> <laughs> she did that quite a few times, man. Just just random things. And I was like, wow, she yeah. was listening, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Like I just found like, I had mentioned something about, you know, mom, I'd like, I don't even remember what it was now. I'll have to find it, but something random. She was looking it up to possibly give to me for Christmas. Hmm. It was a little while back, months ago, and she had written it down, and I just happened to find she had written it down and was trying to look it up, and she wrote a price like she had written, you know, found something. And she always did that kind of stuff. She really paid attention, you know. Yeah. That's one thing I think I got from her, and I had to, to I had to start thinking of doing it a different way because I was going bankrupt. <laughs> trying to make people happy and buying little things. Yeah. I'm like, here, here's something that doesn't make you happy. <laughs> she was bad about that. And I said, Mom, you got to start thinking of things you can do. Yeah. Or something small that's not expensive, you know. Mm. She did it too much. You know, yeah. she was always, she was buying my brother groceries and like for his entire family. I'm like, Mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. He has four people in his family. He makes a lot, he makes a, a good money. Good. Yeah. I might go how far, but it's good. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you do not need to be buying. He, if anything, he should be buying you groceries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And she would do that kind of stuff because she wanted to be her, a mom and take care a of mom. them. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And um, <laughs> what else does she do? She did something else not long ago. Or. Oh, man. Oh, the day when my mom collapsed, we were at, we were supposed to go see the, the High School Musical 3. That oh, was the day my mom yeah. collapsed out at, when I was at work and she called me. Yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to go see High School Musical 3. Oh. And she made me go with somebody else. She made yeah. me go see it anyway. She was like, yeah. We bought the so she told you to still go. Yeah. Um, oh. Um, yeah. Does so she was always, always going out of her way to, to make other people happy what and obviously that made her happy but what other things in life made her joyful or happy and what did she enjoy oh we both enjoyed watching tv and movies and talking about it you know and she loved you know uh music she you know she got into hip-hop in her later years oh hip-hop more poppy (laughs) not like not deep hip-hop but more pop side of hip-hop she liked it more and it was fun you know she would love she loved flow rider oh um, wow <laughs> yeah she loved it it was just you know good times hip-hop you know yeah uh, and she you know we laughed so much just about stupid things oh my gosh yeah. just being dumb and <laughs> i don't know just we, we just laugh we would make fun of each other yeah all the time. that was a thing we did in our family we always make fun of each other yeah in a, in a fun way like you said something yeah. it sounded weird so we repeat it back really is that what you yeah mean? Really? <laughs> and then you just start, start laughing yeah and uh yeah <laughs> and did, did she have any like um like my mom has like a pet name for me like does she have any like pet names for you or your brother or anything <laughs> and well, so I can't remember what she calls him, but she always called me as growing up. She didn't yeah. call me as much now. She called me Bukada. 
Bukeda. And I spell that B O O K E D A H. Oh. Okay. And she would call me Book for short or Boo. Yeah. And yeah. So I I I I brought Boo was around before people started calling people Boo my Boo, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She she was saying that well before then. Uh so do you know why she called you that? Like, how did that come about? A random word came out of her mouth or random, not really a word, <laughs> but a random sound. And she made it into a nickname. I have no idea. I've always asked her that. She said she didn't know. She just popped up. And then it just stuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but only she can call me Buka. Or my brother. My brother called mm. me Buka sometimes. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, nobody yeah. else. No. Sorry. No, no, hundred percent. Oh, and um, did she have like? Uh, I always like find it interesting to ask, like with mums and dads and things. Like, did she have like a signature saying or anything like that? You know, like that. You know, like a um, oh, what do you call it? Like, um, she have a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, not like a catchphrase, but you know, like. Like, my mum has, like, certain phrases that she always says or, you know, like, um, I can't think now. It's gone out of my head. I know but... what you're saying. Like, just idioms, yeah. little things. You just... Yeah. I no, I don't think so. I mean, nothing like that. We just have no. things that we remember her saying and we, we kind yeah. of use them to make fun of her. There's a video from when my, my family, uh, my parents both gave me a, a video camera when I was in ninth grade so it's like 15 or going on 15 and you know i'm filming everybody and yeah you know i'm like what'd you get for christmas that kind of thing just going to person to person <laughs> and my mom is just barely awake she's gonna have to go to work in a few minutes mm. and that's what every year she had to get up she we didn't go to sleep till late they were putting out presents they didn't get to sleep till late and yeah. then we get them up like two hours later. Then she's got to go to work for 12 hours. So, yeah. Uh, she was a nurse. So mm. she was always busy. And anyway, so we turned the camera to her. I said, Mom, what would you get? She goes, I got some new pots and pans. <laughs> she was so tired and not awake that she just sounded like, so we always make fun of her and we bring it up every year at Christmas. Got some new pots and pans. That's kind of what I mean. Like these things like stick, don't they? You know, certain yeah. things that are said over the years or, or things like that, that you just remember fondly. Yeah. Um, she yeah. would also like, I remember this. She would also try to embarrass me in front of my friends, of course. And she would stand up and be all stiff and, uh, you know, and she would go, she would do, I don't know, remember the, the dance, the cabbage patch? Mm, yeah. Kind of like this. You, know, you <laughs> kind of rotate your arms in a kind of a cool way. Well, my yeah. mom didn't know how to do it. So she didn't move her body. She just moved her arms. And she looked like mechanical. <laughs> and then she would go, she would move them around in circles in front of her with the fists, you know, and, and go, go Dustin, go Dustin, go, go Dustin, go Dustin, go, 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 go. And do that in front of my friends. And just, I'm like, mom, stop, oh. please, please go away. <laughs> oh, dear. We were all that's about embarrassing each other. I was going to say, and that's what moms are for, embarrassing. I know I like embarrassing uh, my son <laughs> in front of his friends with like little stories or dances <laughs> and things yeah. like that. So that's what oh, moms are there for. 
<laughs> oh, oh, oh I, I know one of her catchphrases, if you want to say it that way. Yeah. Sure. Um, it, about books. She's yeah. Like, she goes, she, oh, if I got a new book, she goes, did you smell it? <laughs> that was one of her things. And so I got a book and, and I would say, here you go. And I'll bring it right over to her with this, open it up so she can stick her nose right in and take a good whiff. She oh. loved the smell of new books. Oh, woman after my own heart there. Oh. Yeah. I can tell you, oh, I want to tell this really funny story. Oh, yes, her. please do. And it's, uh it's kind of so cringy though. So in my freshman year of college um, or university, what do you want to call it? And I came home, it was Christmas break and uh, I had given my friend Bill, a long time friend, a, uh, a magazine with an article about James Dean's death in it because he was collecting James Dean memorabilia or something. Yeah. You know, mainly just, he mainly printed like got print stuff or posters and, you know, stuff like that. But I got him this thing. It was like an old magazine from like the year after he died. It was just like a, a one year anniversary type thing. So I got that for him, you know, thought he might like it. And he came over after I gave it to him. And, and my friend Beth from college was with us and we were just sitting in my uh, living room and my mom came in and she was oh bill hey you know and he's like hi and she was did dustin give you your present and she was just getting really excited about it i don't you know yeah and he said yeah yeah he did and she was like did you like it wasn't it neat and he was yeah yeah it was it, being put on the spot like that like did you like your present like, <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's horrible but uh he, he, he's yeah it was great she was like did you smell it <laughs> did you smell it <laughs> and he i just looked at her my face dropped <laughs> and i looked i said mom mom <laughs> that's all i said like that's my that's my warning mom like stop <laughs> and mom and she goes don't worry about it she turned to me and looked at me don't worry about it and she goes, did you? And he goes, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> and she said, oh, I would have, oh, you should have smelled it. Well, it's good. It'd be like, you know, walking into your grandmother's attic kind of. You know, oh, yeah. She's all about the nostalgia behind the smell. Yeah. You know? And she's yeah. just bringing it out weird. And, <laughs> and then she goes, she goes, I love to smell things. You know, Dustin, you know, she knows I like to smell new books and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she says, you know what else I like to smell? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, my, I went, oh God, wait for it. Like I was waiting for it. She was like, scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> and we all went. I said, Mom, please stop. <laughs> oh, dear. And then she says, no, 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 no. Green scotch tape. Oh, very specific. <laughs> yeah, it has to have the green label on it. And he says, oh, okay. And she goes, hold on. I'll be right back. I said, Mom, please don't. <laughs> she, I said, I looked at them and said, I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> Beth is sitting there saying, this is amazing. <laughs> and... I'm like, oh my God, this is horrible. So <laughs> she comes back in. Now, granted, it was Christmas, so we have a lot of scotch tape. Yeah. And presents. And she still has like, you know, they're all like little things and she has on a big sleeve of them. And she goes, she brings it out. She goes, 
you gotta try this. And then she brings it to her nose and goes, that smells good. Right. And then she, she goes over to Bill and like shoves it in his face and says, smell it. He just kind of like waves his nose over it really quick. I don't know why he didn't just go ahead and smell it. I mean, whatever, might as well. Crazy things will happen, right? And he just kind of goes, mmm. <laughs> and I said, Mom, please, please leave the room. Please don't come back for the for the night, please. <laughs> oh, dear, that's funny. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> So, I mean, if you've ever met my, if you haven't met my mom, for the most part, you've probably met her through me because I am so much like her. Yeah. You know, I feel yeah. deeply for things and uh, we both think, thought outside the box. I was a little further than she was outside the box, but <laughs> we had the same laugh. I and mean, that's just a trademark of her family. They all had the same laugh. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a big old cackle and <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can you can tell who's part of that family. Yeah, when you hear them oh, laugh. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and that tells you something too. How much we laughed with her that we picked yeah. up her laugh and not my dad's, which yeah. I don't even know what my dad's real laugh is. You know what though? I think I do because his laugh is my surprise laugh. It sounds like an old man gasping. <laughs> like that. My dad laughs a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, when he really gets going and he gets raspy, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so I have a mix, but for the most part, the real chortle. Real hearty laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, do you think there's like a particular lesson that you picked up from your mom? I know that you said like, you know, always be kind and, and things like that, but is the, do you think there's anything that you, you've picked up well i will say that once in 2019 when she got sick and i found her that way Mm. i quit smoking right away yeah i'm done i'm done no more smoking yeah and and which you know i'm so glad for um yeah i felt a lot better since so of course no no nicotine nicotine is bad Mm. but uh just don't leaving every not leaving anything to the last minute mm. because what we went through with her was everything was being rushed and I yeah that feeling yeah because she never did certain things and but um now you know we're also trying to or organizing things by the way organize your stuff guys organize your yeah. legal documents and your you know personal files organize them make it easy for people to find it just in case you never know when you walk out the door, if you're going to get nailed by a bus, mm. <laughs> you no, know, so just, you know, take care of things and look out for your loved ones. Make sure they know they're taken care of. Uh, yeah. And yeah. that lesson as far as all that goes, but, you know, just to laugh and to have mm. fun with life and try to enjoy things and seek out your passions and make yeah. sure you do them. There's a couple of things I got to do now because my mom never got to do them. And uh, 
One of them is going to England and Ireland. I have to go, especially to Ireland. She's from an Irish Catholic family. She wants to go to Ireland. So, and I got a uh, bracelet coming that I'm going to put some of her ashes in so I can take her with yeah. me. Oh, um, that's amazing. So that's why I'm like, yeah. Shelly, um, I'm going to yeah. crash on your couch or something. <laughs> absolutely. hundred percent, Dustin. Hopefully I my, can fit on it. I'm pretty tall. My casa uh, is your casa. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. And another thing is I need to go see the whales migrating either yeah. at some point. She either wanted to go to Hawaii or go to Alaska or something. She wanted to watch the migration of whales. She'll probably do it in Seattle too, I think. And I have family there, so yeah. we'll see. I have to get it pinpointed. She just wanted to see it, and I want. Yeah. And she was so sad that she didn't get to go. Yeah, but she, yeah. but you're gonna get to go. You're gonna do it. Yeah, and you, yeah. And that's a yeah. way to honor, you know, your mom's memory, and you know, doing it for her, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally what I want to do. You know. Yeah. And maybe I'll find a little more closure each time I do something. You know and. Oh yeah, cool. You know, yeah. and I just want to. Uh, man, I'm tired of crying. It's <laughs> I'm gonna really come. Tired of it. Yeah, no, it's gonna come in waves. <laughs> and... uh, I just want to be able to remember her more often, and it's it's it is dissipating. It's you know stopping a little bit, little by little, mm. and you know I'm, I'm being able to laugh at things and yeah, I'm having yeah. like imaginary conversations with her, kind of thing. You know, like. I'm trying to remember that time, mom, that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, laughing about it. Yeah. And um, the other thing I, I was just going to mention as well was your mom was, it's amazing that your mom was your first podcast guest as well. Yes. On, on the podcast. And I just kind of love that, um, that she was your first guest. And like, she's obviously really supportive of you doing the, the podcast and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and the Aww. funny thing is, I don't even I don't remember if I say it on the episode, because I'm playing it. It's going to air right after this on the yeah. same thing. So don't go away, audience, when you're listening. You know, <laughs> this isn't the most happy conversation, but sometimes it's fun to hear anecdotes, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, in this episode, uh, it was the first solo podcast I had. It's not my first podcast, but it's my first solo, and she was my first guest. And, uh, she, we were in, the, it was 2020 stuck in the yeah. house. COVID, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I got Artemis Fowl. I got the book Artemis Fowl. And yeah. I also got it on, I think my Kindle app. So I got it two ways. I don't know why I bought it that many times, but I did. And so I read, read it on my Kindle app and I gave it to my mom and she was going to read it. And I said, mom, I want you to be my first podcast guest. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you, here's a, you know, we have a month out, read this book. So we get to like a week before and I said, have you finished the book? And she says, no. And she showed it to me and she'd read like a third of it. I said, mom, <laughs> read the book. Okay. She just sits there and doesn't pick it up. Doesn't pick it up. I said, mom. So I said, okay, fine. We're going to record. Um, you know the first third of it. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you the last third of it. And you just act like you, yeah, yeah, totally. And that part surprised me. You know, stuff like that. Just act like you've read it. 
and you can tell when you listen to it like she hadn't read that thing <laughs> she gets surprised oh like she does that at one point yeah <laughs> like i'm like mom you're you're bad at this so that's one of the funny things she always did that she didn't finish books most of the time she would start them and she like, i think the last book she finished was like one of the first two harry potter books she only Aww. read the first two yeah. She's reading the other ones. Oh, no. <laughs> never read them. She saw the movies. But yeah. She never read the books. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Bless her. Yeah. But, yeah, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. There's a couple of uh, quotes that have been kind of giving me some uh, comfort. And they're both from TV shows. Both ones I've watched with my mom. Um, one is from WandaVision. And I don't know if you remember this quote. Vision says it to her when she when uh, Wanda was grieving her brother. Mm. And he said, what is grief if not love persevering? Yeah. So I know that the reason I feel this way is because it's all yeah. love. You know, I'm angry. Yeah. I'm sad. I'm everything. But it's all because yeah. I loved her so hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, the other one was a surprise show that I mean, I say surprise because I didn't know she was going to like it, and it wasn't her type of show. But she loved the Vampire Diaries. She loved it <laughs> like so much. So it's not like where she would watch it with me and she enjoyed it. She would actually go and talk to other people about it oh, and say, wow. "Can you watch that? You should watch it." And uh, she really liked it, and I got her into it, and. Actually, in 2019 is when we had started it, and yeah, she was unconscious in bed once, and I told her, "Mom, you got to pull through. We got to finish the Vampire Diaries." <laughs> you know, I was trying to get her to wake up, and she did, so it was great. And we finished that. We watched the sequel series, the originals. We watched the other series, the uh, legacies. Yeah. Oh, but there was um a quote from it, and it's Caroline at a funeral, and I can't remember which funeral it is because they had so many. <laughs> <laughs> But she said, there will be happiness after you, but there was happiness because of you. And it's true. You know, life goes on. But I'm not going to forget her. And uh, I love her so much. And I miss her. But, uh, yeah, so I just, I wanted people to know a little bit about my mom, you which know, is why I'm doing this. She's an amazing lady. There's stories you've told us and told me, and amazing lady. And she oh. clearly loved you so, so much, Dustin. Yeah. And I got my little pen here that I'd made her, me and her. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Um. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's the reason why, you know, I didn't, I wanted to build a podcast tribute to her and not just, you know, you can, some people might read into it as a negative thing. Like, oh, you're trying to get attention or, and that's not no. the case. It's really just about me wanting just to share just people to know, you know, yeah. and yeah, I wanted cool. them to, I don't want her to be forgotten. So I wanted to put it out there. That she was here, she mattered, and I'm never gonna forget her. 
And now with this out here, no one else will. No. So, on that note, I want to thank you, Shelly, for um, coming on and talking to me about her. Oh, it's an absolute honour to talk about your mum, Dustin, honestly. It really is. Really Thank is. You. Amazing lady. She really is. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to say was. She is. She was. Yeah. She is amazing. 100%. So uh, for now, next up, I'm going to re-air the very first episode of Dustin Can Read called Don't Artemis With My Mama. <laughs> and I don't think people appreciate that title as much as I do. Because <laughs> I always I thought it was funny. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I I started listening to it, and I just couldn't have to shut it off hearing her voice. I, I'm not ready to hear her voice again yet. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna take me a minute. Yeah. But I hope you enjoy it. It's not a very long episode. It's my first one, so the sound's not as great. But I, I think you'll like it in my original theme song. So once again, <laughs> thank you, Shelly. And make sure you check her out at uh, on Instagram at, what is it? At T, what is it? Uh, Tiles Point Horror Book Club. Yes. And she's awesome. <laughs> you, she's Justin. a really supportive person. Oh. And I want more people to support her. Oh, bless you, so, Justin. I love you and, lots uh, and lots and lots. I really do. I love you too. <laughs> I love you too. So next up. Dustin can read episode one. Bye. Bye. So, Mom, this is my first show. Do you have any advice for me? No. You don't, really. <laughs> Just be yourself. Say what you want to say. Be confident like you normally are. And I think just go with it. Enjoy. I will try. Hello. My name is Maureen. I'm a retired nurse. And spoiler alert. My son Dustin and I will be talking about Artemis Fowl coming up next. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Twelve-year-old Artemis Fowl is a millionaire a genius, and above all, a criminal mastermind. But even Artemis doesn't know what he's taken on when he kidnaps a fairy, Captain Holly Short, of the Lep Recon Unit. These aren't the fairies of bedtime stories. They're dangerous. 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 Okay, so Artemis Fowl was originally published in April 2001 by Viking Press. And it spawned seven sequels as well as the spinoff, The Foul Twins. Now, once I heard that Disney was making a movie based on the first book, I got curious and found a digital copy to read online. I wanted to share this book with you guys because if you're like me, you didn't know this book series even existed until the House of Mouse got involved with it. I also wanted to share this with my mom because she loves her Irish heritage. And seeing as the author, Owen Colfer, is Irish and the main setting is Ireland, it just seemed like a perfect fit. Side note, I hope Colfer isn't offended by the mispronunciation of his name. I'm doing better, but at first I thought it was Eoin, like coin with an E instead. <laughs> That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Right, it does. Also, I didn't know Colfer wrote a book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, and it's entitled And Another Thing. 
as well as some works from Marvel. And sure, they're all sci-fi fantasy stories, but I think it really shows some versatility. You know, good it on does. him. We begin with a prologue, but it's more of a forward. The narrator is telling us about how much of an enigma Artemis Fowl II is. Apparently, he's so smart and clever, he baffles even the smartest minds on the planet. However, if he's so smart, why does he get involved in criminal activity? This poses a good question, because in my opinion, even the smartest minds can make the dumbest decisions. Very this, true. Very true. The story seems like it's going to serve as a case file for Artemis' big heist at the age of 12. <laughs> So we begin in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City, to be exact. Artemis, pale from being an indoor kid all of his life, is traveling with his manservant, aptly named Butler, who is described as a large Eurasian. I don't know what that is. Eurasian. European, but Asian descent, kind of a mixture. Yeah. I guess he's just a mix. So. Yeah, that's all. We later find out that the Butler family has been guarding the fowls for generations. Each Butler child is sent to Israel to learn fighting, culinary arts, and other skills to serve the fowls. The current Butler has been with Artemis his entire life and knows the kid is something special. So Artemis has Butler grab their informant named Wynn against his will to make them take make him take him to this healer woman that he knows for she works for rice wine. She heals and they end up in an alley in front of a big triangular hole. Artemis gets out his night vision goggles and spots a tiny woman through the hole, draped in what appears to be rags. She doesn't really look up, but she does acknowledge him, asking for rice wine before she'll help. It's really creepy, and it does not feel safe at all. Yeah, it, 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 when I was reading the book, I noticed that there's a little bit to be suspicious of. They pour and offer some Irish whiskey, which is quickly snatched up by a green hand. A voice offers to heal whatever ailment Artemis has, but all he wants is her book. Okay. Now, she plays dumb, telling him that he'll find books in the library. He calls her out, finally, saying that she is no healer. She's a sprite, a.k.a. a fairy. Apparently, Artemis was expecting this pushback. Then he hits her with this winning hand. He's poisoned the whiskey she just drank with holy water, which will burn her from the inside out. It's pretty harsh tactics for a kid. Yeah, it is. <sighs> yep, and kind of ruthless, too, if you think about it. That's kind of cruel. Yeah. For somebody you don't even know, you just need some help. He's kind of a little jerk. Yeah. From right off the bat. Yeah, he is. So she freaks out. Bested by a human child has gotten, it's got to hurt her ego, you know, for an old fairy. Mm-hmm. However, he has a proposition. He has the cure and a booster for her powers, and... If she'll just look at, let him look at her book for a few minutes, you know, he'll give her, he'll give it to her. Reluctantly, she agrees as long as she gets the cure first. So Butler takes pictures of the teeny tiny book they get. It's the size of a matchbox, apparently. He hands it back over, and they give the fairy the shot she needs to restore her powers. Though he tells her it's going to be unpleasant and hurt like hell for a day or two before she's restored, but I don't think she really worries about that. She collapses in agony, and Artemis and Butler leave for the airport. So, you know, later, out of curiosity, Butler asks why they didn't just kill the sprite lady and just take the book. And turns out, Artemis didn't want any dead bodies to attract attention. And this is the only reason given. Not because it's wrong to kill or anything. You know? That's odd, isn't I know. It? 
this kid's morals are really out of whack. Yeah, yeah. He says he put some retcon in her injection so that she won't remember the past week anyway. So I guess that's the way he's covering his tracks, but still. Yeah, that was, yeah. Well, it's better than her being dead. <laughs> if you think about it. I she's so. still, she's still alive and kicking when she wakes up after all this, but. Uh, she's not going to remember it. No, she won't. We find out the main motivation for Artemis tracking down the book of the people is gold. Because, of course, money makes the world go round and turns little boy geniuses into villains. <laughs> Years ago, Artemis discovered the dark web and found tons of references to fairies and other magical civilizations collectively known as the people. He found out about their Bible, which is a deep history into their world, such as their laws and their customs, and he wants to use it to exploit them. I guess this is a roundabout way of teaching kids the way of the world. The wealthy will fool communities or civilizations for personal gain. That's really how this works out. Right, right. It sounds like it. The People's Bible is supposedly written in gnomish, like a gnome. He isn't worried, of course, because he's a genius and will most likely figure it out. His motto is, quote, know thy enemy, which sort of concerns me because he's already thinking of the people as his enemy. You know, it's not know thy mark. You know, who he's going to steal from. Mm -hmm. Enemy just seems so sinister. Artemis and Butler finally arrive home and we meet Angeline Fowl, Artemis's bedridden mother. Basically, she's been depressed since Mr. Fowl's disappearance and is being enabled by her doctors to, by calling it nervous tension and giving her a lot of sleeping pills. The rich are so dramatic. Hmm, that, yeah, that keeps her quiet and still. And It's like somebody's trying to shut her up. Yeah, exactly. Not going to want to know what the dad was really up to. I, I, or, yeah, or something, I don't know. We also meet Juliet, Butler's little sister. She's not too much older than Artemis, I gather, but she's a lot like Butler in that she's tough. She turns up distressed that she accidentally left a crack in the curtains and Mrs. Fowl is freaking out and cannot sleep. When Artemis checks in on his mother, she smashes something against the door until she notices it's him. That doesn't sound like, you know, not very stable. No, not really. She's scared and she's left alone in one room. Yeah, I'd, I'd be... Wondering who'd be coming through the door, too. A lot. Yeah. He fixes her curtains and lies to her that he's been on a school ski trip. Basically, he's enabling her, too, because he gets all the freedom in the world if she's not coherent enough to figure out his schemes. <laughs> I mean, does this kid even have a conscience? He doesn't, but he's kind of smart. <laughs> That's true. Uh -huh. As Artemis is leaving, it turns out his mother really is going a bit crazy. Probably due to all the drugs she gets from the doctors. She says she hears things climbing the walls and then forgets who he is. It's really sad, actually. Mm -hmm. However, I think if Artemis was less selfish, he would get his mother some actual help instead of just letting her stay locked up in a room all the time. Exactly. Yeah, He'll need to do that. He'll need to do that right away or she will be lost to him. So Artemis starts trying to translate the Bible of the people. He gets his computer to scan the pages and runs a program to compare all the languages, but comes up with nothing until he looks at it and figures out it looks remarkably Egyptian. However, this just puts out random words in no particular order. Nonsensical gibberish. Of course, he's not going to give up that easily. Though I probably would have at this point because, again, I'm not a genius. Long story short, he gets it translated. Next, we learn that the Fowl family have a long history of being criminal masterminds, hence their, quote, wealth. Mm -hmm. However, Artemis's dad, Artemis Sr., 
made some bad investments and apparently pissed off the Russian mafia, like you do, and has been MIA for quite some time. Oh, so he's on the run. Yes. So young Artie decided he's got to get them back to billionaire status. I wonder what it would be like to, you know, think that you couldn't survive without millions or billions of dollars. Isn't that, I mean, just, how would that live? How would that life be? I don't know. Ask Jeff Bezos and see what he's held you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. It's kind of sad. Yeah, kind of. But it could be amazing. <laughs> yeah. One could dream. To find out his answer. That would be amazing. What is <laughs> yeah, I would love be. to know. In the next chapter, we go below ground and meet Holly Short, and the confusing terminology of the people hierarchy begins. I like Holly. I do like Holly. Well, Holly is an elf, part of the fairy civilizations. Mm -hmm. So, she's also a fairy. Kind of like you, Mom, would be Irish-American, I guess. Right. She is three foot tall, so her name is accurate, Short. Yeah. Holly is also a leprechaun. Which we find out is actually a job in the fairy world. Lower Elements Police Recon Division. Lep Recon. <laughs> <laughs> she is the rank of captain. She is. <laughs> so, Holly is worried about her boss, Commander Root, who doesn't like her because she's a girl and no girl has ever worked for recon before, blah, 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 blah. Apparently, though, Holly is freaking because she hasn't done the, quote, ritual. This thing where a fairy plants a seed to reload their magical abilities under the moonlight. It's weird. This is a thing that is needed for her job. So why hasn't she been doing it? I don't know if she wants to use her all her powers yet. I don't know, but... I'm not sure. What... She just hasn't been doing it. I don't know. Why would you not want the magic? It's just weird to me. I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. I haven't figured that out. Well, that's mistake number one, Holly. There's an entire civilization of gnomes, elves, sprites, and other things living under the Earth's surface. They call us mud people. It's all pretty silly, but I'm going to go with it. They apparently live their days opposite. The moon rising is their morning, like because Holly eats breakfast at this time, so I gathered this. She arrives in time to report in, but Commander Root has it out for her anyway. He says it is because she's a girl that he's doing this for her own good. In the past, she effed up some assignment, and as a result, time had to be stopped, and some mud, mud people's memory had to be erased. So, Holly is the underdog story of this story. So, after begging for a chance, Root gives Holly an assignment to report on a possible troll attack in Italy. Holly immediately rushes to her mission via the underground tunnel system, where she meets up with Foley, a cynical centaur. <laughs> who thinks that mud people are actually spying on them. <laughs> Which is kind of funny to have a conspiracy theory theorist in the fairy realm, you right. know. After a bunch of jargon that I don't feel like repeating, she gets into a capsule and is hurtled to the Earth's surface by the pressure of magma. Gee, you know, like, dang. Yeah. You'd think they'd figure out a safer way to get around. <laughs> <laughs> by this time. Using yeah. magma. Yeah. She gets up to the surface and immediately notices the polluted air. She hates mud people for destroying everything they touch. Damn, this book is just filled with a bunch of love for the humankind. She does make a funny note that she can't believe we have a room for the toilet, though. Indoors. <laughs> we poop and pee indoors. Right. We humans, I don't know what's wrong with us. I know. <laughs> Our mud, we mud people. <laughs> what's wrong with us? We want to have some privacy. <laughs> Go figure. 
So she puts on some motorized wings and begins to follow the blip on her locator watch. The troll has apparently destroyed a lot of crap in its path. We learn some of the powers fairies have, which are healing and shielding, which, you know, remaining hidden from people mainly, and something called the Mesmer. Right. Holly reports the destruction to Commander Root and lets him know that the troll is going to destroy the town and there are children in danger. He tells her not to get involved, but of course she turns off her headset and gets involved. Another mistake, Holly. Long story short, a lot of things get destroyed and she gets exposed to the humans in the process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They take care of it, of course, but she's in deep shit from Commander Root. (laughs) But she assures him that a child called out for help, and she took it as an invite to run interference. Good That's save, right, girl. Because they have to be invited. Right. They can't just go and help anybody. They've got to be invited to do so. Well, however, when she can't pull up her shield in front of a human, Root figures out that she hasn't been re-energizing with the ritual and commands her to charge up ASAP. Right. Meanwhile, Artemis has figured out all things fairy, including the ritual. He explains to Butler and Juliet that if they can grab a leprechaun when they come up to do the ritual, they will have the leverage they need to get their hands on fairy gold. Mm. They start gathering their supplies, which includes sunglasses for some reason. Nice plan if it works out, Artie. Holly is now on her way to a special spot for soaking up the moonlight. She toys with the idea of stopping off at Disneyland Paris. (laughs) Yeah. And this makes me giggle since... You know, we're told as some operatives of recon work as dwarves in the Snow White ride. <laughs> she... Don't have a sense of humor, Dustin. Exactly. Well, it kind of fits, though, now that Disney owns this property. You know. uh, yeah, well, they had to mention it somewhere. <laughs> well, no, I mean, this was already in it before, from what I understand. Anyway, she's using some nicer wings this time around and flies quite a distance. Apparently, <laughs> she the best spot is in the, quote, old country, which happens to be Ireland, of course. Of course. As Mom and I know, most fairy stories and folklore really started in the Irish region. So it makes sense for the story to be based there of all places. Even though they don't like the mud people, her community does hold a special place in their hearts for, uh, for the Irish. Mm-hmm. That's kind of sweet in a way. Right. It really is. So Holly sets up camp at a little more secluded spot, just as Artemis and company arrive to snatch her up. There's a bit of a standoff, and Holly is amazed at how comfortable Artemis seems, as well as how familiar with their customs he is. Nevertheless, she tries the Mesmer, which is mind control. Kind of like being compelled in the Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work. They shoot her up with a hypodermic needle and take her. Oh. I think this would probably be the time to let you know that my mom actually didn't get through the entire book. No, She sorry. got up until right before Holly performed the ritual. So this is all new information to her. Exactly. Can't wait to find out what happens. (laughs) (laughs) A brief time later, Foley, the centaur, calls Commander Root to show him some disturbing footage he caught on Holly's helmet. They see the entire interaction with Artemis take place and immediately plan to rescue Captain Short. Elsewhere, Artemis is drooling all over the fairy technology he's confiscated from Holly. He finds a tracking device and devises a plan to mess with those who are going to be tracking this fairy chick he just captured. As Butler drives, Artemis is messing around with the tracking device, trying to figure out and not destroy it at the same time. They arrive at the docks, some shipping docks, and Artemis has Butler pick a fight with a group of guys as a diversion, for some reason. 
Even though he doesn't like to do it, Butler seems pretty badass when it comes to kicking ass. Artemis meets back up with Butler at the car, but Butler has no idea what the diversion is for. I'm sorry, I know he's Butler's, quote, master, but the kid is 12. Right. Shouldn't he at least clue this guy in, the adult? I would think so, if he wants to have some help and when he needs it. So Commander Root is arriving at the surface, getting everyone who is doing the ritual to head back below ground because the mud people have gone and gotten hostile, y'all. <laughs> at the same time, Holly is waking up in her cell at the foul estate. At first, she doesn't know who she's talking to, but it turns out to be Juliet with a pair of sunglasses on. Holly thought she was a blonde fly. <laughs> so when Juliet mentions the name Artemis Fowl, Holly shivers with a negative intuition, and that can't be good. Like so she's just like that name. Just it's something about that name. Mm. Holly tries the mesmer again on Juliet, but it doesn't work. It's those damn glasses. She tries to get Juliet to take them off, but Juliet is afraid Artemis would find out. So that doesn't happen. So Holly decides to threaten Juliet with physical violence, but Juliet calls her bluff. Apparently, Artemis discovered that if fairy folk are in a human home, they have to obey the human's wishes. Oh. Damn, the kid thought of everything, didn't he? He did. Not to fret, Holly has a plan. <laughs> Elsewhere, Root is flying above Ireland, Dublin to be exact, complaining that humans have changed the coastline and he's having trouble navigating. For such a prestigious character, he sure is out of touch. And bumbling. <laughs> I almost imagine him looking like Monterey Jack from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. We soon discover what Artemis was up to. Root is following the tracking device, and it has since gone offshore. On a boat, maybe? Root touches down on a ship, a whaler, which is seemingly deserted. He doesn't take any chances, though, and searches all over for Captain Short, but only finds rats. Mm. Finally, he tracks her signal to her room, but no one is in there. And just then, a cocky little voice on an intercom that introduces himself as Artemis Fowl II. He wants to demonstrate how much of an asshole he can be to get what he wants. Just then, he detonates a bomb remotely and makes Root... Run for it. Oh, my God. Which we learn that, quote, Darvit is a fairy curse word, apparently. And it's mm. used multiple times throughout the book. Okay. Darvit! <laughs> he barely escapes the explosion, but when he does, he orders his team to learn all they can about this Artemis foul. Uh -oh. Artemis is very pleased with himself for tricking the fairy commander. Mm -hmm. Kid nearly killed someone and is just grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> We finally start to see that there is something a bit more humane about Artemis. He sees Holly on his surveillance cameras, looking sad and trapped. He actually considers her more human than he anticipated. Finally, this little sociopath, you know, may learn a little empathy. <laughs> okay, we'll see. He starts to go down to the basement to chat with Holly, but Juliet stops him. She's all worried because Mrs. Fowl is claiming Artemis Sr. is back, but won't let Holly into the bedroom. Artemis has a flash of, should I choose family or the mission? Luckily, he makes the wise choice and climbs the stairs to his mother's room. Right. He hears her talking and giggling, but when he enters the room, she's alone and talking to a pillow with lipstick all over it. Oh. Instantly, she thinks Artemis is her father and asks if she and Artie Sr., a.k.a. the pillow she's propping up like a puppet, okay. can have the night to themselves. Of course, this makes Artemis sad and is the only redeeming quality about him so far, the love for his mother. Yeah. 
He nearly cries but holds it back. Back to the mission. Downstairs, Holly feels an acorn that fell into her boot when she was performing the ritual. Apparently, if she plants a seed, or acorn in this case, she can use it to get her magic back or something. Right. She looks around, but everything is concrete. Then Artemis shows up in his usual cocky way. She is not happy, snarling at him. She tells him that bringing humans and fairy worlds together will be a disaster, but he doesn't care. She's also amazed at his knowledge of their customs, and he is very fluent and gnomish. What is this kid, Johnny Five? (laughs) (laughs) Did he get the head key from Lock and Key and just throw all the books into his brain? I'm jealous that he can learn that fast. He tells her that he knows there's a fund for fairy hostages, a gold fund. She plays dumb until he tells her that he shot her up full of truth serum, and she told him herself. She calls him crazy, and his response is, If I win, I'm a prodigy. If I lose, I'm crazy. That's the way history is written. Does he not sound like Hans Gruber from, like, Die Hard? He's just uh, crazy. Yeah, he's a smart kid, though. He's got all his, once you get all his ducks in a row, and I think he's mining them up. (laughs) Now, Mm -hmm. huh? Well, okay, as it turns out, the readers let in on a little secret. He actually didn't use any truth serum. Uh-huh. He just pricked her with a sterile needle to make her think that he had used a drug on her. Oh, uh, okay. He even thinks it's a bit cruel. It is. Yeah. Mind games are, in general, are cruel, Artemis, you little b- bastard. <laughs> anyway, she thinks she spilled all those secrets, and she hadn't. Like, he's messing with her mind. He's gaslighting her. Mm-hmm. To top that off, he tells her that she's been there for three days. She's only been there for three hours. Why is he fucking with her head? I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it just seems excessive. Yep. He, he wants to get what he wants to get. Well, she finally calls his bluff. If he knows so much about what is going to happen, then he must be prepared to deal with a troll. Artemis is clearly shaken because he didn't know about any trolls. Hmm. She kind of laughs in his face like, nah, 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 nah. You're going to get your ass kicked, little boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here for it. As soon as Root gets bandaged up, Foley the centaur gives him the lowdown on Artemis. Apparently he is very good at, you know, hacking into the Interpol's mainframe. Interpol is international police, by the way, for those who don't know. He tells Root all about the Fowl family, but especially the fact that Artemis is only 12 Root is really surprised that Foul Manor is so close by that they could make it there before first light. Apparently, sunlight weakens their powers, which is why they are active at night. Foley feels like something is off, and he would be right to feel this way. Why would a child do all this masterful planning and then casually drop his own name? Foley tries to speak up, but Commander Root just doesn't want to hear it. They fly to Foul Manor, which is an old castle estate. They land and everyone starts to sweep the grounds. Lieutenant Cudgeon, an old academy friend of Root's, tells Root that they should just blast Foul Manor away. But Root reminds him that Holly is inside. And Cudgeon doesn't think much of a female officer. Chauvinism, y'all. He says they could basically explain her death away. Then Root says he must be part human and immediately apologizes because that's a major insult. Meanwhile, Butler and Artemis freeze-frame the cameras and spot the LEP retrieval team sneaking onto the property. They are shielded by the human eye, but not the camera. Artemis gives Butler Holly's headset that he's fiddled around with. They play around with the settings until they find the anti-shield setting. Artemis sends Butler out to do what he does best, 
but says he'd prefer Butler just scared them to death. Mm. How sinister can you get? Yeah, really. <laughs> we get to learn about the team surrounding the house, led by Captain Trouble Kelp. Yes, Trouble is his first name. <laughs> Interesting name. <laughs> his younger brother is in his squadron, and there's a lot of unnecessary family drama that happens. But in a nutshell, they underestimate the humans, and Butler comes at them with his shield-blocking goggles on. They timidly fight him, which, of course, gives him even more of an upper hand. One even tries to shoot him, but he swats him away like nothing. Now, almost everyone is knocked out except for Captain Kelp's little brother, Corporal Grub Kelp. These names are not, I mean, they're, yeah. they're silly, aren't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> Butler tells Grub Kelp to get him a negotiator so they can get on with the hostage exchange. Downstairs, Holly is now using her bed to dig a hole. She's picking it up and slamming it back down on the concrete to break it apart. Juliet comes in to check on her, and Holly says she's just banging for attention because she's hungry. Juliet goes along with this and leaves for some fruit and some veggies, and Holly continues to slam the bed into the ground. So the LEP retrieval team is about to do a time stop over the foul estate. So warlocks used to do this by casting spells, but Foley, the genius centaur, figured out a way to do it mechanically. He seems to think that Foul Manor is actually a perfect place for a time stop. A little too perfect. Hmm. He tries to say something to Root, but the commander is such a freaking stubborn mule and tells him to, quote, push the button already. The time stop shield goes up, so everything on the grounds, including the house, will be stuck in nighttime for the next eight hours as the world around them wakes up to a new day. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it is. They get into a big fight, though, I... Don't want to see that. <laughs> Foley decides to tell Root to watch his back when it comes to Lieutenant Cudgeon, his old friend. He just knows that the lieutenant is going to stab him in the back. But of course, just like with everything else, stubborn Root doesn't listen. Stupid. Yes. <laughs> He's like such a stereotypical arrogant military leader. They're just, you know, there comes a time when you should just retire, my man. Just that may be this time. The last hurrah. Yes. Foley explains that they need to send Root in to negotiate, alone and unarmed. This is supposed to show a sign of good faith to the mud people. Of course, Root doesn't like this, but then Foley hands him a finger from off the weapons rack. It's actually a false finger. Covert ops. Okay. To put on, and it shoots a tranquilizer dart at the tip when you, like, tap the knuckle. Foley warns him to be careful because their idiot staff keeps forgetting they have it on, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. They keep shooting themselves when they're, like, picking their nose and stuff. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Next, he's loaded up with his, quote, iris cam, a contact lens camera with two-way radio type of thing attached to it. It's very James Bond. Now, Artemis has noticed that the time has stopped, and it, he is pleased as pie about it. I've read enough to know that you shouldn't be too arrogant either as the protagonist or the antagonist, and I'm still not sure which this kid is, but he shouldn't be so arrogant. He checks the monitors, and his mother has disappeared from her room, something he doesn't seem concerned about at all. Like, she's not on the cameras. She's gone. Hmm. He also checks in on Holly, who is seemingly going nuts in her cell, but he questions it. Finally, he sees Commander Root approaching and giving himself a pep talk, where he actually thinks of himself as evil and sinister. He goes down to meet Root. Like, he literally thinks of himself as evil and sinister. Like, time to be evil. I'm like, my God. Kind of rooting himself uh, up, huh? Trying yeah. to get himself 
uh, what do you call that, when people try to pump themselves up and they want to fight and stuff. Psych themselves up. Yeah, that. After insulting Root's intelligence, Artemis continues to talk down to the commander. He tells him that he knows about the steps they will be taking. He knows about the time stop, and if they don't come to his terms to negotiation, he knows that they are going to detonate a, quote, bio-bomb to take out everyone in foul manner. He won't even tell Root how he knows this. He's really conniving little creep. So he says he just wants one ton of 24-karat gold. Phew, that's all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Root, of course, scoffs at that. But then Artemis tells the commander he's figured out a way to escape the time field. And now, suddenly, the whole Mrs. Fowl is missing on the monitors thing kind of makes sense. Root leaves and goes back to the command center to review his iris cam footage with the, quote, experts. Which, all they do is argue and barely get anything done. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to mention their names. Just, they have names, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> they finally come to the conclusion that Artemis isn't lying. And then Root has one of my favorite quotes. He says, When I looked that human in the face, I figured he was either a genius or crazy. Artemis's cool eyes glared at them from the screen. So which is it, asked Foley, a genius or crazy? What's the difference? That, my friends, is the truth, Brom. Yes, you're right. A lot of people that are so eccentric act like they're crazy. But they can be very smart. Well, crazy doesn't necessarily mean dangerous either. No. It can, like I said, they can be very eccentric and they can just... Think of things that no one else would think of and all the nuanced things that they've got going on with the fairies and the lips and everything. The, the lips. different kinds <laughs> the different kind of of armory and things that they have to fight with. It's very unique. So in the seventh chapter, we finally revisit someone we barely saw early on. Mulch Diggums, a kleptomaniac dwarf. I don't remember reading. You that. don't remember Holly running into him? She runs into him really briefly. It's really quick. Okay. You meet him, and he's stealing something at that moment, too. Okay. But she just kind of lets it go because she's in a hurry. Right, right. She otherwise would have been a cop. (laughs) So he is seriously addicted to stealing from mud people, breaking the sacred rules of obedience of their dwellings. And the punishment for this, he is given, he has to give up his magic. Mulch doesn't care because he likes to collect people stuff. (laughs) <laughs> he's apparently a very good digger, kind of like a, a mole-snake hybrid. Basically, he unhinges his jaw, eats the dirt, and poops it out as he goes. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of gross when thinking of somebody humanoid doing this. When they, <laughs> yeah. you know, Like, how big is his butthole that he has to keep pushing out so much, all that dirt, dirt. so fast, and, you know, you know I, ugh. Yeah. These are real concerns I have for this mythical dwarf race. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is weird. We find out he's in a stone cell, something he can't chew through. He pissed off an LEP officer, and they put him in with a goblin gang. And there's some sort of turf war between goblins and dwarves. Goblin magic includes handling fireballs, which they threaten him with. So one of the goblins tries to blow fire at his no- out of his nose at Mulch, and he counteracts this by shoving his fingers in the dude's nostrils, which results, <laughs> it sounds almost like lava streaming out of the gob- goblin's eyes, and oh. then smoke, and then he passes out. Ooh. It's kind of horrible. Yeah, it's yuck. <laughs> and the others attack Mulch, and he unhinges his jaw, grabbing up one in his mouth, 
and the LEP come in at this point and get Mulch, Commander Root wants to see him. <laughs> this makes Mulch nervous. It's daytime above ground, and dwarves like the dark underground because they have sensitive skin to sunlight. He meets Commander Root in the time portal, a walkthrough to the time-stopped area. It's clear that Root does not like Mulch. He's testified against him in court at least 16 times for all for petty theft that he's done. Mulch even steals an access card from Root at this very moment. <laughs> the commander does not even notice. So Root shows him foul manner. And after some negotiating the terms of his sentence, Mulch agrees to break in. Since he's already broken the human dwelling rule, he can go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. Mulch and Foley's interaction is probably my favorite in the book so far. <laughs> Foley is such a smart mouth genius. And with Mulch's underhanded wit, they play off each other really well. And Foley is getting Mulch ready with his iris cam, complimenting his eyes. Mm -hmm. It's actually really cute. Mm -hmm. Mulch plays along, and Root gets just pissed off at the both of them for goofing off this whole time. <laughs> Finally, getting serious, Mulch says he can smell limestone and doesn't think he can get into the house if it's built on solid rock. Foley is way ahead of him, finding the wine cellar is built over, on, uh, over clay with a wooden floor. Oak, no doubt. They really are a good team, and I wouldn't mind more of a story between Foley and Mulch, actually. Mm -hmm. So Mulch dives underground, and everyone laughs at Foley for not moving out of the way when Mulch dirt shits up what he's been tunneling. <laughs> <laughs> so he jumps in, unhinges his jaw, and shit comes out of it, and it hits Foley in the face. It's pretty funny. Mulch finds the wine cellar easily. Some wine leaked out, and the clay ground tasted pretty awesome, it seems. Can a dwarf get drunk that way? Uh, I, I don't know. If it was enough. Maybe. <laughs> so he sneaks around and ends up trapped in a hallway between two cameras. Foley is a tech genius and loops footage from, you know, of the empty hallway for Mulch to sneak by. But then Mulch, who is gassy after ingesting the aerated lawn, has to explode fart. Oh, goodness gracious. No telling what's going to happen now. Yes. He's going to rock the... Well, just wait. <laughs> rock the things off the ceiling, off holding, the floor. Well, he's holding it in, mm -hmm. and he gets Foley to help him navigate the place pretty quickly, because he's like, I gotta go. Uh -huh. They find a lead-lined safe, and using his dwarf super hearing, manages to crack it open. Mm -hmm. What he sees sends him into shock, effectively releasing his explos uh, explosion of gas. Oh my God, what did he find? Around the same time, Artemis discovers the looped surveillance footage. He feels duped, and rightfully so. Just goes to show there's nothing like the knowledge that comes with experience. This kid is smart, but he needs to be put in his place. Something tells me this is not going to happen since there are several sequel books out there, but what can you do? Mm -hmm. He sends Butler to sneak up on the thing in the safe room, and Juliet goes to check on Captain Holly Short, who has her continuing, you know, she's still bedbanging on the floor. Right. It's then that Artemis realizes what Holly is up to, but Juliet doesn't have her walkie-talkie. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Yes. So Butler's sneaking up on Mulch, and Mulch's ass explodes in Butler's face, throwing him against the wall <laughs> and knocking him out. Oh. But not before he feels the embarrassment of this incident being caught on surveillance footage. Oh, He's like, God. oh man, Artemis is watching this. Yeah. <laughs> So Juliet, bitching about having to follow Artemis' orders, enters Holly's cell. Mm -hmm. Holly is now charged up with magic after finally breaking through the stone slab to, you know, to some dirt so she can bury her acorn. Her acorn, yeah, exactly. She easily manipulates Juliet with her mesmer, leaving the teenage girl to stare at the wall. She's hypnotized her to think that she's watching wrestling on a wall TV that actually isn't there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
And Holly kind of likes Juliet, it seems, but she leaves the girl in the cell, you know, as she looks for a way to escape. Right. Moltz gets a bit cocky for knocking out such a large human like Butler, but starts to book it when he sees the big guys start to stir. He runs into Holly briefly and shows her the copy of the book he found in the safe. She now knows how Artemis has been playing by the fairy rulebook. He literally had the fairy rulebook. Oh, okay, okay. She immediately goes into stealth mode, hidden by the naked eye. She's pissed at what she's been through, and Mulch does not feel envious of Artemis at this point, as he will have to endure Holly's wrath. Artemis is starting to freak out, and I am overjoyed. I really do not like this kid. (laughs) His plans seem to be falling apart. However, after a few moments of relaxation technique, he realizes he still has the upper hand. For some reason... He purposefully made some mistake during his negotiation session with Commander Root earlier. Like, he did it on purpose. He made a mistake of some sort. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what it is. He is actually counting on the LEP retrieval team to detonate the biobomb. He wants this to happen for some weird reason. Kid is a freak. So he can become a genius savior. I don't don't know, Mom. Moltz gets back to the wine cellar and takes a deep dive to start his tunnel back out of the house, but that's when Butler grabs him and pulls him back up. Butler calls him a goblin, which I know really pissed Mulch off. After nearly getting hit again with soil excrement, (laughs) Butler loses grip and Mulch gets away. Of course, Butler doesn't like the outcome and vows to get Mulch someday. Dude, let it go. Ego much? (laughs) Now that Mulch is safely digging away, he veers off course and grabs a rabbit from a neighboring tunnel. He then proceeds to kill the rabbit, yelling, Cave in! Cave in! Before he purposefully loses the iris, the, the eye connection on his iris cam, mm-hmm. he fools everyone that he's died, basically. They see blood, everything, but it's actually a rabbit. Right. He has successfully escaped. With Mulch out of commission, the two experts, who I haven't named, return after studying the footage of the negotiation from earlier. They figured out Artemis' mistake, no doubt the one that he wanted them to, you know, to find, for sure. Mm-hmm. He said that they couldn't enter his house while, his house while he was still alive. Right. So it seems the new plan is to get the gold from the council, trade it for Captain Short, then biobomb the house, killing Artemis and allowing them to enter and take the gold back. Right. Seems like a good plan if the reader weren't already aware that it would blow up in his face. Except there's a wrench that even Artemis didn't see coming. Mutiny. Mm. While Root has fully called the council to get permission for the gold, Lieutenant Cudgeon has launched a plan of his own behind Root's back. Just like Foley said he would. Oh. He called the council and snitched. They didn't like that Root got Mulch Diggums involved and now have turned command of the mission over to Cudgeon, who is planning on sending in a troll. I knew Root's arrogance would end up screwing him over and here we are. So, a troll is apparently feral and cannot be reasoned with. (laughs) Cudgeon knows this and just wants it to be let loose, destroying the house and everyone in it. This sounds very familiar. Don't listen to the experts. Mm -hmm. Just do what you want to do because you want to get the glory. (laughs) Let's not name names. He's convinced that they can keep the troll under control so that they can rescue Captain Holly Short. But he doesn't seem concerned if she ends up collateral damage in the scheme he's cooked up. Root calls him out. It's all politics. It has nothing to do with doing what is right. Cudgeon just wants a clear way into the council, and being a little tattletale is how he's going to do it. 
Even though Root is dim-witted and often rude to him, Foley still shows solidarity for his commanding officer by snarking on Cudgeon that he will this will all blow up in his face. Root feels a brief camaraderie with Foley, but quickly ranks, you know, turns his rank on him. He gets Foley on the phone to all of his supporters so that they can lobby on his behalf to the council. Meanwhile, Holly is slipping through the vast house undetected. She narrowly misses being trampled by Butler, who's looking for Juliet. She then enters a room, and Artemis is waiting for her, with anti-shield glasses on. Holly doesn't really speak to him, but scours the room and gets an LEP helmet that Butler collected from the squad earlier. All the while, Artemis is bragging about her being a prisoner and having to do whatever he says, blah, blah, blah. She then hears Foley over the helmet radio telling her about the incoming troll. She looks up and notices that Artemis is without Butler's protection, so she rears back and slugs him straight in the nose with her little fairy hand, which I'm sure hurt no matter how small she is. And I'm cheering at this point because Artemis needs to get hurt a bit. If he's going to pull these selfish and cruel stunts, he needs it. She basically tells him to be a good little boy, and he's cowering. <laughs> he doesn't have a shitty little comeback this time. Yeah. Is he finally learning that maybe he shouldn't be so full of himself? Doubtful. So, acting commander, Lieutenant Cudgeon, is in way over his head. He's more concerned with bad language his team is using than what is actually going to start happening. They have a troll in a cage, it seems, and they're using explosives and all this stuff to irritate it so it'll attack. Mm-hmm. All this dude can think about is a damn council seat. Freaking asshole, I hate politics. Mm -hmm. Back to Butler, who is rushing to find where Juliet has been. The book actually references that a bead of sweat runs down his shaved head. Remember that for when you watch the movie, FYI. Because in the preview, he's got blonde hair. Okay, will do. He arrives at Captain Short's cell, where Juliet is cheering and laughing at an imaginary wrestling match she's been hypnotized to see on the concrete wall. Butler thinks she's been drugged. Mm-hmm. He has a moment of, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically how he, it doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thought, you know. And then he immediately snatches Juliet away from her wall of wrestling. She's kicking and complaining the whole time he carries her upstairs. And that's when Artemis comes in on the radio telling him to take cover. Actually, he says that, the first thing he says is, quote, lollipops. A code word, I guess. Then he just decides to talk down to Butler like the little shit he is. Just as Butler arrives at the lobby with Juliet thrown over his shoulder, the front door basically explodes. <laughs> now would be the time for him to literally say, I'm, I'm getting too old for this shit. shit. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so with Juliet still under the mesmer and talking gibberish, he can't risk any gunfire fire if he were to run with her on his back. You know, she'll get shot up. Yes. So he sets her down, prepared to take on whatever it is, until he sees the troll with glowing, quote, night eyes and tusks made for gutting prey. Right. This is the first time in a very long time that Butler is visibly shaken. He actually lets out a quick gasp as the troll enters the house. Like, he is not ever, he is not shaken or moved, like, at all. And he's, (gasps) gasps. It would be a pretty horrendous-looking creature, though. Well, yeah. To think about it. The troll instantly jumps towards Juliet, who thinks he's some sort of wrestler named Bigfoot Bob that should go to be in the Andes right now. And this is like the troll's like, "What is going on with this chick?" And Butler instantly raises his gun and fires into the troll's chest. 
but the troll stabs him with his tusks, poisoning him with an anesthetic. Mm-hmm. This ain't looking good for Butler's family, you know? Nope. So enter Captain Holly Short, superhero extraordinaire. <laughs> she does a little parkour around the banisters, hoping to at least save Juliet. She tries to blast her sonics, basically a high-pitched electronic dog whistle type thing, so that she can incapacitate the troll for a second, but it fails. Oh. Time to switch to physical contact, and methinks Holly is a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome at this point, because if I were her, I would be trying to save these fools after all the shit that they've started. I'd be out of there fast. But whatever. She's a good person. She uses her suit to propel herself at G-force speed into the troll. And this irritates the troll enough to forget about Butler for a second. But now, Holly is tangled all in the fur on the troll's back. And something about there being, quote, quote, cleaner slugs on his back? Oh. It's gross. I don't know what it is, but it's gross. The troll reaches back and grabs Holly by the helmet. He pulls her off his back and holds her close to his face, ready to snack. And Foley and Root start telling her via the intercom to turn on her helmet lights. She tries, but they are offline. She realizes she picked up one of the the bad helmets that Armis was messing around with and disconnected a whole bunch of stuff. So trying one last stunt, she tries to headbutt the troll, which does nothing. However, (laughs) However, for a second, the headbutt jumpstarts her helmet lights, blinding the troll's sensitive eyes, causing him pain. Good. Because they're night eyes and bright lights. Ah, it hurts. Good, good, good. She gets flung up against the wall, obviously injured. Luckily, she performed the ritual earlier and has plenty of magic to heal herself. And oh yeah, she landed next to Butler, touching his arm. Uh She proves that she's totally a good guy by sending her magic through her fingertips to heal him before she passes out. Oh, that was sweet. That was really sweet. The troll starts to close in on Holly. Apparently, human meat is more tender than fairy meat. Butler wakes up in a ton of pain, but realizes he's alive when he shouldn't be. That's when he notices the blue sparkly magic dancing around all around him, healing his wounds. Boom! He's healed. He feels awesome and ready to kick some troll ass. (laughs) Good. He's got one to kick. Yeah. And like when someone gets a one-up, you know, in a game, Uh it's a sudden burst of energy with a company with powerful joy, you know. We gotta get up and slam hands, you know. Commander Root and Foley are struggling to get the video in Captain Short Helmet going, and when they finally do, they see what Holly is actually witnessing at the time. The human, Butler, in a suit of armor, carrying a mace and going toe-to-toe with the troll, and it's pretty awesome. Oh. Basically, he outmaneuvers the troll, giving him hits with the mace and eventually delivering some hard bullets between the eyes. It just gives him a concussion. Okay. The troll, because he's got thick, you know. Skull, yeah, yeah. Before Butler can finish him off, Holly stops him. He takes mercy on the troll and puts him on the trolley cart and rolls him out of the house. And Root and Foley are amazed. They cannot believe a human went toe-to-toe with the troll and survived. Really? Yeah. Last chapter, The Home Stretch. Holly has trapped Artemis by blasting the door handle and sealing it shut. It's also hot to the touch. Artemis is annoyed, but a little impressed with the LEP strategy to try and get someone in the house to cry for help and interpret it as an invitation so that they can enter legally. So that's why they send in the troll. They get somebody to cry for help and they can go in. Right. But they haven't cried for help. He really has this whole fairy Bible rule scanned into his head, you know. Mm -hmm. He pulls up the radio and calls for Commander Root. First, Foley answers and tells him he's doomed because there's no escaping the time stop or the bio bomb. 
And then Root comes on and basically tells him the same thing. Artemis calls his bluff and asks if he really wants to take that chance, considering how far ahead he's been of them the whole time. And Root concedes. He knows this kid's smart. Mm-hmm. Just when you think Artemis is about to be nice, a cool, nice person, nope. He says he feels betrayed for their agreement, which he was actually counting on, the conniving little twat. <laughs> I get that his master plan calls for it, but I don't like people who play head games and then gloat about it. Butler breaks down the door, and Artemis fills him in. They both question why Captain Short healed Butler, and now Butler feels all guilty for holding her for ransom. Never flinching Artemis assures Butler she will be returned to her people unharmed. After Butler hints at disapproval of this mission, Artemis acknowledges that this is, isn't one of their most elegant heists. <laughs> so maybe Artemis is just being a little shit for this book only, maybe? I sure hope so, because I don't know how anyone can read the rest if he's always going to be the bad guy like this. <laughs> Elsewhere, Root has just informed Cudgeon that the Council has reinstated Root as the acting commander of the mission, and they want to see Cudgeon right away. He is pissed. He even tries to attack Root. But Root, quote, accidentally shoots him with his finger dart. See, that was important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. He's a little coy about it, but you know he did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did all the work. Mm-hmm. He's the one that got it right. So they carry Cudgeon's knocked out ass away, and Foley and Root discuss the plan. They have 15 minutes left before the time stop ends, exposing them topside in the middle of day. They get ready to send in the gold, and I presume the biobomb, via some sort of hovercraft. It kind of sounds like a drone. Root has told Holly that Artemis knows about the bio, about the biobomb. She thinks he's completely nuts, and I agree. She doesn't really like Artemis, but has grown fond of Juliet and doesn't want her hurt. She flies to the lobby as Butler and Artemis await the ransom. They all notice that the time stop is getting close to ending as little streams of daylight start breaking through. She chews Artemis out for endangering her and the others in this whole scheme. She even turns to Butler, but he doesn't flinch, stating that he trusts Artemis. Though internally, it seems his loyalties may be wavering because of all these shenanigans. The hovering trolley carrying the gold shows up and bumps into the top step just above, outside the front door. Butler goes out to check for any weapons, but only finds a camera that Root and Foley hid on the cart. Artemis is starting to get a little too excited trying to calm himself down. I have this feeling he's going to make some sort of mistake, and I'm here for it. He deserves a good letdown after all the mean things he's done in the name of restoring his family's fortune. Mm -hmm. They all gaze upon the gold. Holly is drooling over it because, you know, fairies love them some gold and other minerals too, but it's gold especially. Mm -hmm. She urges Artemis to give up because they won't let him keep the gold. A human has never held on to fairy gold. She seems to respect him at least, and he seems to respect her too. Still, cocky as ever, he tells her that he has it under control. Okay, kid, whatever you say. He gets Butler and Juliet to unload the gold and turns to Holly, asking what he would do or have to do to buy a wish from her. Hmm. Methinks he found the loophole. So the LEP team spots Holly exiting Foul Manor with at least half of the gold. They quickly take her in for a debriefing, where Root says that she did a good job and not to worry because they'll get the rest of the gold once they detonate the biobomb. Holly says, and fully confirms, that if Artemis does survive the biobomb, he gets to keep the gold per fairy law. Ha Artemis pours some Dom Perignon for he and Butler and Juliet to toast their victory. Instantly, Butler knows he's been drugged. 
and he's a bit peeved at Master Fowl for doing this to him and Juliet, but my guess is he'll get over it. After Butler and, Ju Butler and Juliet are sufficiently knocked out, Artemis drugs himself as well, and he goes down. The biobomb is sent in, exploding in a flash of blue, killing all living things on the premises like insects and fish and flowers. Anything bio. Mm -hmm. The LEP team, along with Captain Short, come in to do a sweep on the premises. It doesn't take long for some members of the group to start vomiting, and Foley realizes that it's because they don't have an invitation to enter, which is needed because the resident is still alive. The little punk did it. <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> Holly makes her way to the cell where she's sure she'll find Artemis and company, but they aren't there. Frustrated, she tells Root, who commands her to come back in and leave the goal behind because, let's face it, the kid won. Captain Short huffs, vowing, Until next time, Artemis Fowl. Next time! <laughs> she doesn't actually say that, but that's the vibe I got. Right. A little side story. So, um, Mulch has smelled half of the gold in the custody of the LEP too team when she brought it out right. and takes the opportunity to sneak in and steal it for a quote retirement fund for himself okay he plans to live above ground as a quote human dwarf convinced that humans will believe anything as long as there's money attached to it and he's not wrong <laughs> so butler wakes artemis up demanding an answer as to why he drugged him and his little sister if i were artemis i wouldn't keep sidestepping the question and just just reply honestly mm-hmm Whatever. After much prodding, he tells Butler that he figured out from old fairy tales, basically, that if humans were asleep, the time stop would just happen around them. Think of, like, the cobbler and his shoes, and those are when the fairies all showed up and when people were asleep. Right. Right. And it happened, like, quick. However, it's nearly impossible to go to sleep if you're already awake during the time stop, which is why he had to drug them. The test subject was his mother because of all of her crazy sleeping pills. Right. You know, so he looked on the camera and saw she was gone. And right. he knew, boom, that's what it was. She, I had to be asleep. Still miffed, Butler forgives Artemis and makes him confirm they will stick to more tasteful ventures in the future. Just in time for the loft door to open and Angeline Fowl to rejoin the world as a normal person. My guess is that <laughs> Artemis's wish from Holly had something to do with getting his mother's sanity back. Oh, She's already starting to live again. He is overjoyed and feels like a little boy again, something he's needed to feel like for the entirety of this damn book. Of course, all this means is that he'll have to be sneakier with his schemes so as not to let his mother know what he's up to. Mm -hmm. Epilogue. The case file is closed on this case, but not before confirming that there are many more Artemis file cases later, and Captain Holly Short is the foremost expert on the boy genius. What's funny is that the person writing the case file makes a comment that both Artemis and Short are protagonists that help each other in a goblin war later on down the line. So basically, they secretly respect Artemis's genius, I guess? Perhaps I'll have to keep reading the other books to find out. I don't know. The end. Hey! It was very, very good and very interesting. A lot of characters, though, Dustin. I know, there's a lot of characters and a lot of new laws and things mm -hmm. you have to understand and so mainly i already know you like holly short yeah you know and the whole mulch diggums thing where he's you know basically stealing things and unhinging his jaw and then pooping out everything it's kind of funny so what do you actually feel about artemis fowl i think that he is down because he doesn't have a father around 
or his mother was acting crazy. So I think that he just didn't have any real live people to guide him correctly. And the butler was the best thing he's had. It's just kind of sad that he had to grow up by himself and do the best he could and figure things out in mean situations. And unfortunately turn into a little shithead. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that too. Well, thank you, Mom. Maybe we'll get to read another book sometime soon. I would like that. All right. Have any comments or questions about Artemis Fowl or the show in general? Reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or Instagram at both Dustin C. Holden and Dustin Can Read. Email me at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. Please be sure to subscribe and be alerted of new episodes as well as rate and comment on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Dustin Can Read.